Hello. Hi. The ABC of Itam. Are we back? Yes, we are back. Are we? Yes, we are. People say this is our catchphrase. We are back. So, we are back. We are back. Um, but we are back. I mean, we are not lying. And, and it's not like we're here all the time. No. So when we do it... We're back. We're back. And today we have a new letter, a new episode, a new set of words, a new philosopher, a new poet. A new everything, a new life. A new life. And this is the last of the good letters. So let's... You don't have to say that. Let's enjoy. Let's rejoice. No, let's... I see it differently. It's the last of the ones that have a lot of words to choose from. Yeah. And then we have the ones that we don't have so many words to choose from. Um, so there will be more intricate things going on. Yeah, yeah. And this creativity out of constraint. I think there is. this is the last entertaining show. Because how, <laughs> how entertaining can you be with X? Well, we will see. So what is the... Letter of the day? The letter of the day is the letter T. 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 Uh, a letter with um, a heavy burden. Because it looks like a cross. The legs looks like a cross, yes. Yes. The burden so of our Jesus, like our Lord's sacrifice. We're lifting the, the burden of the, of the T today. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah, let's, let's lift start it. With, uh, with a song and then we come with a word. Oh, yeah, let's shake up things. Okay, out of the box. Herr <laughs> oh, Professor. Out in Mund. Ich wusste ja gar nicht. Dummes Ding. Yes. 
Did you like the song? Yeah, I love the song. You always like the song. But this this week's this week contains some of my favorite um of your post punk stuff. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So what's the first word then? So we, today we have many many important words. So it's a very, you know, heavy heavy show. show. So let's start with uh, some uh, one of them that is really important for our work. And it's the word trash. Trash. Yeah. That's not such a heavy word. <laughs> yeah. One could say it's a frivolous word, but Or maybe it's a heavy word in terms of complexity of content. Yeah. But not sense. heavy in terms of like drama. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So trash, what is trash? You mean literally or uh, metaphorically? <laughs> literally, I know what is trash. <laughs> Now, metaphorically, um, I'm not sure when, exactly when the, the the term trash comes up. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if there is something to do. If if as a as a cultural institution, it's a lot to do with the '80s. Uh, yeah, that is very camp historically, right? And very, yeah, like the eighties being so camp and so. I think that the thing that the eighties did w- w- was that they were unapologetic about, like, not caring if it's too serious or no, but if it's really too s- s- um, sugar sweet or 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 too too much glitter or you know the, this notion of too much. Um, I think the the idea of trash means that somehow there is something that there it isn't trash. Mm-mm. That there is something that is measured. Yeah. And then there is trash. Yeah. So essentially trash means um the not measured of within the constraints of uh, of normality aesthetics. So it's about excess really. Yeah, and and politics in a way. Yeah. I think I think trash is is a is a way to camouflage all sorts of uh, conservative discourse. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Greece, I, I always remember that trash being used as a as a derogatory term to describe things on TV primarily. That this was like the serious culture people would always say, "Oh, TV is like trash." Um, And I haven't heard that term being like reappropriated or positively framed until much later in my life. And I think after I met you, actually, of like saying something is trash to signal something that's interesting. Do I say that? Yeah. Uh, maybe you would say, I don't know, you would say inf- influenced by trash aesthetics or post-trash, you might say. If you want to signal that's like an interesting, I'm wondering to what extent trash has been, uh, you know, re- reframed as a word like queer, for example. Mm. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I think queer has been really full. I mean, okay, <clears throat> queer is more to do with personal identity, so it's yeah. a heavier word, but it's queer has been full on changed. Yeah, reappropriated. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, whereas trash, maybe not so much. Trash is more more about uh, about yes, I know it's not self-important, and I'm proud of that. Yeah. But it includes almost some sort of 
internal negation as well. Like mm. it's not exactly pride. It's more like, uh, yes, it's guilty pleasure what you want. Yeah. That kind of thing, which is not exactly the same as celebration. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't think trash ever, because trash is connected, you know, trash actually means, but, you know, okay, you can say queer also meant perverted and whatever, but trash actually is a word that is still used for the trash that you collect. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a dead word, like mm. queer, the original queer. So trash is rubbish. Mm. Um, so to what extent can you say um, we are proud to wear rubbish, for example, to watch rubbish? Um, and, and, but not mean as a guilty pleasure. Mm. Mean as a, as a you know... This is this is this is what I was trying to say before, and I think for me, the <clears throat> probably I've mentioned this before, but the whole '90s versus '80s mm. good versus bad taste thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think trash relates a lot to that um, that idea that um, there is someone who decides what is good taste, and usually this notion of good taste is something very conservative. Mm. So, to actually go full on and say, thank God it's trash. Yeah. Um, it's not something that has happened yet. And may maybe it's not, may may and maybe it's maybe. not a word that can be used for what it is. Like camp, for example, mm. is a word that ha can have, I guess, negative and positive connotations. But trash is a little bit more difficult. In this cycle of, of acceptance, that you start from trust as un, uh, unequivocally um, negative, and then you have trash as a guilty pleasure, and then we are entering this time where trash can be self-identification, even though I take your point that that might never fully actualize itself. I'm a bit actually... I feel like it's not... It shouldn't be in a way that like for me it wouldn't be a good thing to like accept trash wholeheartedly well you see the problem with this is that because of the whole guilty pleasure thing mm. i know a lot of kind of macho straight assholes yeah who watch trash yeah from above mm -mm. um like we know this is terrible and we watch it Mm. Not exactly making fun of it, partly making fun of it, possibly partly identifying with it, but generally from a distance. Yeah, I think like, that's what I don't like. That's like what trash I, tourism. That's what I don't like. This kind of like, we, we accept trash as long it's somehow separated from our core existence. But that's why I'm saying that I... I like the, I tra want... the tragedy of trash. I don't like the the like shallow fun yeah part. but that's exactly what i was saying that this is this is why i think there needs to be a notion of a full-on acceptance of mm. what it means and mm. what it actually you know is against okay let's let's go back to the initial point so if if trash is you know in the literal sense the garbage therefore there is something there that is not just frivolous and light but there's also something tragic and something abject something like 
inconceivable almost. So if that's the trash culture we want to accept and, and promote and, and kind of incorporate into our work, yes. If you just want to look at the from above uh, just to be entertained, then I have a big question mark. Yeah. Yeah. Should we leave it to that? Yeah. Thank you.
So, um, what's the next word? Um, it's slightly different. To trash. To trash. In what way? Well, with our work Esfita has been characterized as trash before, but it's never been characterized as the word we're going to discuss next. Which is? Terrorism. <laughs> Institutional terrorism. We do a bit of that. But not really. I mean, this is the thing. Terrorism, I think, when I was growing up in the 90s, was very different as a word. Um, in Greece especially, it was all about lefty kind of terrorism. Um, so it was a very, very different connotation. I think after 9-11, it almost becomes synonymous to kind of Islamic extremism in the West. Up until Breivik and uh, the, the rise of the insults kind of shooting people in, in the States where we, we again we start seeing it as a white supremacist uh, kind of thing. But again, like which of course always existed, but you're talking about the about public reception. public discourse, yeah. public discourse and public perception, and all of these things still exist simultaneously. I'm wondering uh, when when those children were shooting people, was that considered terrorism? I don't think so. Like ele- like elephant gas van Sant situation, like yeah, Columbine and stuff. Yeah, I don't think so. That's, I don't know. That's you were, not considered terrorism at the time. No, but now that. Because isn't terrorism about also having some ideology behind your actions? So if you're like a, a serial killer, for example, you're, you're not... That's not terrorism. That's right. not terrorism. You have to have some sort of you know, political, ideological thing. But now, because of the insult ideology, if there is such thing, there is this idea that all these kids that do these shootings, they are kind of influenced by some sort of belief... Um, that there is a you know global conspiracy against them getting laid. <laughs> yeah, let's not go into the insult. No, thing. no, we, yeah, it's not it's not We've mentioned in, insults uh, before. Um, I mean, also Islamic terrorism has a little bit of insult vibe. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, I mean, all terrorism has an insult vibe, really. Yeah, and the lefty terrorists in Greece they they got laid a lot. Like the 17th of November? No. No? No. They were a bit dorky? No, it's like, yeah, they were dorky. <laughs> oh, IRA? I mean, tor- IRA, come on, they were sexy. No, that, uh, That's there are two, two different issues. One okay. is the sexiness, yeah. and one is the amount of sex uh, rece- being received. Which, as we know, it's not at all... Uh, equ- like there is not a no there are you know that there are people who are extremely sexual and have a lot of sex um but they don't radiate sex yeah and the, and the opposite yeah no those two things don't go together yeah, yeah. i am like guilty of finding terrorists uh, sexy for a long time okay so we unpack this <laughs> statement uh I, oh, it always goes back to sex and death, isn't it, with Fita? I, I don't, I don't um, <laughs> like that they are terrorists. Yeah. And I don't mean, I don't, I don't like as in like I don't approve. Obviously I don't approve. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not like these women that fall in love with the people in prison. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't have this. But every time in the paper, well, when there used to be papers or on the internet or whatever, 
I mean, mostly on the paper because terrorism is also a little bit old-fashioned now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't connect so much terrorism with the internet. I think when the internet came, terrorism went down. Interesting. Interesting. Um, absolutely unfounded, but interesting. Well. Yes. Um, I mean, this new wave of terrorism we discuss is primarily organized through the internet. So. Like what? I like all these insults. Where did they get these ideas from? Yeah, but they don't actually become terrorists that much. Yeah. Anyway, let's go back to the... Because Breivik is not exactly ter- is in an incel. Mm. I mean, yeah, he's, he was like a- alone and everything, but it's and racially motivated uh, it was hate. Ev- it was everything. He In his writing was also saying about how... Feminists are kind of doing stuff. Is I mean, for, that's one example. For example, I have a a problem. I find him very attractive. Jeez, <laughs> has this kind of um, he looks quite evil, right? Has this kind? Well, yes, but also in a cute way. <laughs> Jeez, in um, I'll tell you my own. Uh, story. Yeah. First of all, uh, living in London and traveling around Europe mm. and the world um, after 9-11 mm. uh, has been interesting for me because I had a big beard and kind of Middle Eastern characteristics. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, difficult. And it say. was also, it's worth reminding our audiences that having a big beard at the at the time, was not so omnipresent. No, it was not at all omnipresent. And in fact, I had my, you know, um, London map Mm. um, from West London to East London. Mm. Uh, I had completely different looks. Like in East London, very good, because it was like the birth of the gay beard thing. Mm. Of course, somewhat coinciding with, you know, Muslim chic. Of course. And yeah, because yeah, that, that was a thing, you know. I mean, okay, they, ne- they wouldn't have called it, you know, something racist like <gasps> so you, you mean So you mean that the, the, omni- the current omnipresence of beards in the gay community and in the hipster community comes starts from, from 9-11? Yes. yes, that's what I mean. And in West London, I would be totally like, what is this? Like, this is dangerous, mm-hmm. like, don't. And, and within the same bus ride, the 30 in London would start very like oh sexy to oh terrorist and um but it's in, funny you say even wait no, yeah in uh, 2000 in 2000 and uh when was it five four something like this um i had a partner and i went to a party soon after we met and um introduced me and yeah. and, the, and someone said oh of course it's you uh, like a boyfriend and i was like Sorry, and um, then I asked him, and he said, "Yeah, I might have told them that um, the next person I want to have a, a relationship with, or sex with, or you know, yeah. a date, would be someone that could blow me up." <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, from blowing to blowing up. Um, wow! And 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 the. Um, I definitely, definitely, definitely remember a strong con- a connection between 
you know, those photos in tabloids of the Islamic terrorists and beards starting to be a thing in the gay scene. Uh, I, I, absolutely, it's absolutely connected. It's absolutely connected. Fascinating. I, I, I'm really interested in that. Yes, and uh, because, because really, if you actually look at what, what was the thing with beards at the time, mm. there was the shaped beard of hip-hop culture, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like goatees and things like that, and some alternative rock and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the so-called short box, like the 1910s hipster beard, mm-hmm. the closest you would get that would be... Osama Bin Laden. Yes. I mean, Osama went for the full-on ZZ Top, but the people who couldn't have such a long beard, that's the first kind of point of reference. Oh my God, you mentioned ZZ Top. This is what they compared us to when we started as Fita, because we we both had beards. And at the time, in Greece, that was the reference. Like, if you go now to Athens, because obviously people are also naturally hairy and can have full beards, so this trend really exploded. exploded like almost everyone has beards yeah. now like one out of two people two men would have beards yeah so but when we did it in 10 years back back in time it was referred as a 80s whatever like when zz talk was yeah yeah um yeah but but yeah the the, the sexualization of terrorists is, and very under the carpet, like I've never heard of this kind of connection. It's for me. It's very like it really, really did happen. It really, it really did happen. I I, I remember again like being in kind of gay gatherings um, and one person going, "Ah, oh, did you look at the paper? Oh my god!" And it was this kind of like. <laughs> you know that sort of thing like another hottie blowing up the whole of Birmingham So, we're back. <laughs> yeah, after a song. 
We are back. What can we say? Yeah. And we have more words starting from T. Like the next one. Oh. Special effects. Very triggering, the next word for me. Telephone. Telephone. Oh, my God. We have to say here that Pivos um, hates, hates telephones. Okay. Funnily <laughs> enough, I think at, at this time it's been memed to death. Like millennials. First of all, should we... It, it, should we say that we use the word telephone and who uses the term, the word telephone? Lady Gaga. <laughs> I mean, she's ancient, first of all, mm-hmm. already. But telephone, who says telephone as opposed to phone? No one. No one. <laughs> uh, telephone. So t- it, the telephone is... is the, the telephone is connected to the pre-smartphone situation, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And also the pre... Yeah, yeah. Pre-mobile phone situation. Pre-mobile phone, you think? That little thing with a curly yeah, cable. Although, <laughs> if, we, if you look at it, at it as pure yeah. etymology, yeah. the mobile phone makes more sense to be a telephone because mm. tele means far. Yeah. Although, okay, far in voice, it can be cable, cable it can be mobile. Yeah. Um, but you're, you are, I mean, I think what we, we are doing here is we're, we're talking about Talking on the telephone. Yeah, this kind of idea of having a long call with a friend or something. Not necessarily long, but just... Um, or asking for information via tele... Oh my God, this is my least favorite thing in the world. Okay, this is hugely generational. It's, yeah. it's extremely generational. Yeah. Like, it really happened between my generation and yours. Yeah. So you have to explain to our audience, what yeah. exactly makes you freak out about the telephone? Yeah. And what, 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 would, what do you prefer instead? First of all, there is the question of consent. Like someone is invading my personal space. When they're ringing the phone. Ringing the phone, demanding my time, demanding my ear, demanding my level of preparedness without any sort of, you know, Consent. Consent. Like actually arranging. Yeah. Yeah, but, but sometimes it, it was a sort of... Because I, I want to give you something now that you might not um, have put in your... Uh, mm. I think this particular thing goes against a very specific mm. time, which was the early mobile phone time. Mm. Because previously, before that, the when phones were landlines, yeah. yes, okay, you wouldn't, you didn't have the internet to ask someone. Yeah. But generally, the idea was not like making a phone call was a rare event. Was not like ah. was not like something that you wanted someone's time all the time. I so see. the so in it a would way, be you would think when to do it for example yes you would yeah. for example there is you know there was an etiquette as to when mm. to occupy someone's time right so i think what you're I, i'm not saying that you would obviously you would as a, as, a, as a millennial you would feel equally uncomfortable probably by the scenario yeah but this particular thing that you're saying which is the you know invading someone's uh, private uh, space in random points yeah that's absolutely to do with the coming of the mobile phone as something 
of the which means you can just call someone whenever. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really talking about being you're really against a zeros thing, I would say here. Uh, what can I do? That's when I was introduced to this situation. Anyway, I have I have multiple traumas around telephone, I think. Uh, you know, I have this trauma as a child with a telephone with a famous singer. No. <laughs> so my brother um, was writing lyrics and my parents wanted to promote my brother's career, which is already problematic. So we would go to these concerts with famous people and we would stay until the very end. And then my, my dad would go with a dossier of my brother's lyrics and give them to the it's cringe, like <laughs> apotheosis. But at the same time, good for him for doing it. I feel like I think that's the... Yeah, brave. Brave. And if my brother did it, actually, I think it would actually have results. Anyway, so we give, uh, we, we did that at like a concert, like in a local concert in Ceres, where I grew up, um, with this famous like singer-songwriter called Socrates Malamas, who's a very serious artist. Um, so, you know, we, we gave him the dossier. It has the the landline number to our sales home. Um, um, so then fast forward a few months later, I'm alone at home and I'm at this time seven years old, eight years old, something like that. So the phone rings, I pick it up and it's Socrates Malamas, this really famous Greek singer. And he's like, hey, is there like, you know, my, my brother's name and I'm like, oh no, do you want me to pass a message? And he's like, yeah, I've, I've read the lyrics, they're good, but I, I don't think I can do anything with them. And I was like, fine, I will tell him. And I hung up. <laughs> so my parents come back. I'm really excited. And I'm like, this happened. And I took the phone and they were like, why, why the fuck did you take this call? <laughs> like, this was a really important call. It was a big opportunity. And you fucked it up. But, 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 but he said he can't do something with Yeah, it. but like, if the, like, I should say I can't take this call, like call later. So they have a proper discussion with my brother. They talk, they talk about the work. They see different ways to work. I don't know. I don't know. Everyone was really upset with me. Everyone was really fucking upset. I was really proud of myself for taking this high stakes call and <laughs> doing it properly. Everyone hated me for doing it. So I have a trauma there. No, but this is not a trauma just about phones, isn't it? It's like about the whole, your whole life, isn't it? <laughs> what, what do you mean? Like taking bigger stake, big stakes and treating them as little. <laughs> yes, yes. That's your life. It is my life. <laughs> what can I do? Try and hard to look like Gary Cooper 
You didn't say all the times you. I, I remember when I met you. I would I would uh, come to stay at your place in Berlin, and you would speak to your friends like for two hours, like to on the phone. Yes, and I would be like, "What is this?" I was really. Uh, when Skype came to came up, I changed to Skype. Mm. I honestly I remember you calling Alex and speaking to her like over the phone properly with a the girly thing <laughs> cable oh okay i don't know yeah maybe and you were living in the same city at the time I was like what is this you liked it maybe now you've reduced it i don't know i speak on the phone very little yeah mm. um but i communicate very little so i've reduced every yeah. form of communication <laughs> Um, next word. Next word is totalitarianism. <laughs> oh. 
What does that mean? Would you like to? It's all of these your... things they've accused us of uh, over the years, like being trashy, <laughs> being terrorizing, being totalitarian. Being... On the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my punchline. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, um, loaded word. <laughs> Totalitarianism. Often associated with, you know, awful regimes and stuff. Um, what, what else is it associated with? Only associated with this. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing for me is obviously a question coming from our beloved Slovenian um, uh, art group Leibach. <laughs> is art and totalitarianism mutually exclusive? Yeah. <laughs> Like, of course, we have, uh, I think, in our work, we are very interested in this. We're very interested in totalitarian aesthetics. We're very interested in totalitarian um, discourse. But let's pause on... This already is interesting to me, like totalitarian aesthetics. Okay, you want to unpack that a little bit? What what does it mean and how does it link to, to, to our work? I mean... Oh, totalitarian aesthetics is, I mean, Susan Sontag speaks about that better than I could really talk. Yeah. Uh, like when she, she, she calls them fascist aesthetics. Mm. Um, you know, like um, the Olympics is totalitarian aesthetics. Yeah. Is this idea that um, a group of people becomes a mass. Mm. Um and they're all wearing the same uniforms. Wearing uniforms is totalitarian aesthetic. Yeah. Um, it's the aesthetic of, you know, the many becoming one. It's really funny, though. Because, not funny, but it's interesting that, you know, after World War Two and after the denazification of, of Europe, there is quite a clear narrative about what is the bad totalitarianism in politics, right? Like the scary leader, the the faceless masses. But when it comes to aesthetics, you know, one could argue that totalitarian aesthetics did not, you know, disappear from public life. Mm, yeah. If if anything, they the no, I wouldn't say they, they they went up. No. No. Okay. I mean, uh, if you look at um, the Olympic ceremonies. Uh, they go up and down yeah. but for example London's one was sort of critical of this like yeah. sort of making fun of it at the same time yeah um, yeah and uh, and in like you know in, in Lenny Riefenstahl's time if one arm was you know not in the same rhythm as the, re- the rest they would cut it <laughs> yeah. so uh, and, and also and also yeah the communist countries got softer in terms of their China and China yes China also you think only North Korea is full on <laughs> um, but maybe in terms of the in terms of the totalitarian aesthetic but maybe this is the interesting thing okay, maybe then we need to rethink of what is totalitarian aesthetics because if Donald Trump is the new totalitarianism, it's very different to the Lenny Riefenstahl vibe. Um, 
Can totalitarianism aesthetic be like trashy and fragmented? That's an interesting question. Um, and also, and also uh, the, the other way around, can uh, um, something that reminds of totalitarian aesthetics be in the service of uh, progressive politics? Mm-hmm. Um, because, for example, Hollywood for me is totalitarian aesthetics. Yeah. Uh, but Hollywood was all against Trump. Mm. So, how does it play there? Um, like, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think this is this is a slightly, it's a sl- it's a difficult discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I'm wondering if it's a clear discussion because um, I still think that people don't. I I feel a little bit like we are insisting on some of the basics of Susan Sontag again and again and again because people don't get it. Mm. People don't get that Olympics o- opening ceremonies are totalitarian aesthetics. Mm. Mm. They don't get that. Like whether 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 this the, our notion of nations has changed, that's a different story. I don't think it has. No, it hasn't much. But but um but I think it's it's sometimes even when I am in progressive circles mm. and I'm like yeah but he designed the fucking Olympics Ugh. Mm. you know like the fascist uh, spectacle they're like oh I don't know it was kind of nice and you know this sort of thing yeah like there is a real problem in in identifying original uh, you know Sontagian fascist so before you go to the postmodern before you go to the postmodern and and that's why I think in a way maybe that's why the left is so not ready aesthetically to deal with Trump because and, they and haven't the dealt right because them. they haven't right they haven't dealt already with the ba- even with the basics mm. they haven't or they haven't even dealt with their own totalitarian aesthetics mm. Mm. because totalitarian aesthetics is not um to be found just in the right. Yeah, of course. Of yeah. course. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, from then onwards, the, the whole how do you make totalitarian aesthetics that are messy, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Mm. That's a very strange place to be. Um, mind you, I don't know. Is, 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 is Donald Trump the face of the future of totalitarianism? Or is really Putin the face of totalitarianism, which is just normal, good, old totalitarianism? <laughs> you know, and I, because I think, yes, it's, I think it's the limits of postmodernism to be absolute. How much Milo Yiannopoulos totalitarianism can you really use to mobilize people mm. it's too separatist it's too weird and bitty it, yeah because because totalitarianism in its definition is about eradicating difference exactly so when you have a fragmented totalitarianism yeah it takes you to a point because it disarms your opponents uh, but then it becomes a platform that cannot you know go any further in terms of like escalating violence mm-hmm. It reaches its, its limits, right? 
So yeah, um, what can we say? We uh, we've tried for a really long time to, uh, you know, to, <laughs> to do what? tell people. Oh right. Um, you know, for example, the whole um, there were a lot of things in the. There are a lot of things in contemporary art that just don't take this idea into consideration. Mm. You know, you see like bodies one after the other in precision and stuff like that mm. in so-called avant-garde theater. And um, and okay, one can say this this is everything that is um, orchestrated yeah. and coordinated, like circus. Is it necessarily totalitarian? Obviously. Oh, I think that the, the next question is if you accept this, like then you have to be strategic of how you use to like accept that there is an aspect of totalitarianism that you're, yeah, you're attracted to. I like. mean, we didn't go to that at all. Like yeah. you started with this, but we didn't go into the whole Leiber thing. Yeah, uh, the, the whole, you know, understanding that the spectacle is a dangerous place and doing something with that. Exactly. Um, That's another thing that obviously we work on, on a lot as much. As and also can. politically speaking, like if you want to mobilize people, you might want to use strategies of strategies of propaganda and of totalitarian, totalitarian aesthetics in order to get to a better place. But it's dangerous, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. As Zizek said, the Thatcher of the left. The Thatcher, oh, we always come back to that. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Speaking of totalitarianism, mm -hmm. let's move to the next word. Yes. Is, um, the tops. The tops, as in like uh, blouses and t-shirts? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> no? No. As in uh, the top of mountains? No, neither that. <laughs> um, it's about people. Um, usually gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no. Well, nowadays not anymore. Not anymore. Um, traditionally. Well, traditionally, back in the <laughs> back in the days of the <laughs> the early sexual revolutions. Uh, yes. They were yeah. the, the, the the gay subcultures where there were the two options initially, the tops and the bottoms. Mm-hmm. So people having anal sex, the one receive in the receiving end, the bottom in the providing end, <laughs> providing the top. Then there was the verse. Yes. The verse spring. The verse spring. That's like that's not must be a nineties thing. It sounds like it, no? Yeah. Um, then there was the the complication by inserting the the BDSM axis. Yeah. Then it becomes three D. Three D. The it's, dom. It's, it's really different. The then. dom, the sub, and and the switch, and you have the a top that could be. Sub, yes. Sub, well, like, my my opinion is that tops are always subs. But well, that, but that we didn't know at the beginning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we realized that. Um, and then you have, of, of course, we didn't know. <laughs> I like the idea that we didn't know. It's like as science progressed, yes. You know? <laughs> Psychoanalytic gay science realized. We're, oh, it was like that all along. All along, but we needed to. You yeah. know, we needed the science to tell us that. And then, out of like this... Like a Jorge Luis Borges situation. <laughs> out to of go this... through, <laughs> to arrive to the beginning. <laughs> um, then we have, through that development, of course, we have the, 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 the subtops, and then we have the power bottoms, the bottoms who are in charge. Then we have the gender complexity. So, you know, at the, the departing from only cisgender male people using the terminology to all kinds of gender expressions use, using the terminologies. And and now the straights are using the yes. terms. And of course, as always, when uh, straights use um, gay terminology, the sky is the limit. <laughs> yeah. they really, it really explodes. It really my, does. my experience is that they, as we've said in our previous, mm-hmm. in a previous episode where we said that they are the new, the queer. straights are the new queer, uh, they really make a much more creative use of the terminology. Yeah. Possibly so. because there's more of them. Possibly. Statistic. So Stati- this is a statistic approach. Yeah, because it's like 10, is- if, if you're 10% and you're homosexuals, how many interesting people would you have in that? Really not that many, is it? But sociologically speaking yeah. also, when you're gay and you have this like ways to navigate gay life because you know you you depart from the mainstream rules you you want to create an alternative world with equally as strict rules maybe yeah so it's whereas the, if you're if you're like a straight man and there is really like one role for you to fulfill by society yeah when you start messing that up yeah you're like that's much more transgressive you will take the biggest dildo up in the ass <laughs> yeah. you won't start by the little one you yeah. know yeah. Uh, what did we want to say about tops yeah let's go back to tops now we we departed from the tops so in this proliferation, this new idea emerged of tops almost being something politically reactionary. Like, yes, yes. So you, you know, in like the, the bottom phobia, you mean? 
Yeah, like, yeah. Well, bottom phobia is the first step. But then bottoms emancipating and being like, wait a sec, why is bottom bottomness kind of associated with something inferior? Like, is there a top privilege in the gay community? Uh-huh. At which point I'm like... Well, there is... A, first of all, there is a top privilege in the porn industry. What? Like, they get paid more. Really? Yeah, they get paid more. I mean, I don't know where it is now, but for sure, at some point, it was like this. They get paid more. Very Obviously, nice. the famous like people the, get paid more. I like the material. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they give more material. <laughs> There's more blood given. So, they get paid by the, by the centimeter of, of meat <laughs> used. Of, of erection. Um, anyway, I feel like this is a bit gone too far. Like, we don't need this analysis of top privilege. Okay. Um, and but what kind of analysis do we need? I think we need to kind of... In, I mean, top-to-top uh, uh, top games. Ah, yeah, we need to talk about that. In Greece. I mean, have we spoken about this before? I don't think so. In Greece, there's a, there's a thing called top-to-top top games, yeah. which is a very psychoanalytic <laughs> term. Yes. Um, it's about a top meeting another top. So... Neither of them is bottom. Yeah. So, so practically, if the categories were to be taken 100% mm. as, 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 as actual and not performative then there would be no penetration. Yeah. Um, but are they to be taken like that or are they to be taken as performative and there is some sort of penetration? Or is there some kind of um, um, acceptance that it's okay as long as there is no penetration? I mean, this is the thing because the top and bottom you know, terminology in the West has a very specific history. But when you go to Greece, which is a marginally Western place and is very influenced by the Ottoman kind of spirit. Um, historically, and up until the 80s, really, like if you were a bottom, you were gay. And if you were a top, you were straight. Mm -hmm. So you have this interesting complexity of this being the history. And then gay identities come, like gay identities come from the West and they try to, to you know, connect to what is existing there and then you have this monstrosity coming out of this idea that you can have two men having sex but if they're both top they're not gay yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so it's like a perversion of the you know of, it's, of the history it's it's like uh it's like planet romeo needed to do a lot of research if they were to to make categories in the different countries. Interestingly, <laughs> I, interestingly, I was reading this article on Pink News, on some hideous gay newspaper, about all this new generation of people, gay, gay men, identifying as sides, so neither tops nor bottoms nor verse, they're sides, which means they don't do penetra penetrative sex. No? No. Which is top-to-top -to -top games. <laughs> well, but they do it in a more kind of, you know, queer way, queer, inclusive terminology. Sides, I'm not sure that top to top games is about not having 
penalty trick. Because six. you are very I think top normative. I think top to top <laughs> games is about um, telling each other none of us wants to take it. Let's see what happens. <laughs>
שלום. היי. You know? I know what. Do you know? Do, do I know what? What time is it? Oh, it's time for one of our special little things. Yeah, one of the really special things. What special little things so, do we have? So, you know how every week we do a philosopher? Mm-hmm. I picked a philosopher for this week, starting from T. And his name is... Is it a philosopher or, you know, because you, 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 the way you, you make it sound is like not a philosopher. Well, he has written philosophical texts, so I think it's legit. So his name is Leon Trotsky. Oh, <laughs> isn't that fun? An socialist father. Um, and he's like, um, um, he's Ukrainian Jewish. Um, obviously, as we write this podcast, it's the, the war in Ukraine, so... So that's an interesting uh, connection there. And I mean, as I, was, I was, as I was preparing for this episode, I mean, there is so much about Trotsky's historical kind of presence. You know, he was very central in the Russian Revolution. He was a general. He killed many people during the revolution. Um, and then after the revolution, um, after Lenin's death, he didn't quite... Vibe with Stalin, <laughs> so, so he was exiled and then murdered in Mexico um, after he had really good sexual encounters with Frida Kahlo. Which really, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, is it true? I don't know. It's the gossip. <laughs> they they had a friendship anyway. I mean, but at the time, you yeah. know, yeah. one thing led to the other. Mm-hmm. A little bit of uh, whatever tequila. <laughs> anyway, but should we focus on the philosophy part? Um, so, obviously, there is something for me about Trotskyism in general that when we when I went to Athens and I started going to all the political spaces, um, the only lefty people that I kind of liked it was always the Trotskyists. Mm-hmm. And, and why was that? Okay, I have to admit, primarily for lifestyle reasons, they were like less stuck uh, than the more kind of traditional lefty people. Mm-hmm. And Trotskyism, even though that doesn't at all come from Trotsky's philosophy, but for from, for some interesting historical reasons, has been the one part of the communist kind of sphere that is more LGBT friendly, more like feminist. So I would go to their gatherings of the Fourth International and there would be like more, you know, people like me, basically. And in their parties, they would like be more queer. So there was something there aesthetically that is more liberal and I like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was thinking like, how does that link to the, philo- like there must be something Trotsky said that was really kind of liberal. It's not really like that. Although he was anti-Stalinist, so he did believe that, you know, there should be um, uh, something away from this kind of nationalist, kind of Stalinist, totalitarian idea. Um, and also he, he hated the bureaucracy of the, the emerging Soviet state. Um, and also he really liked this idea of permanent revolution, which I thought was his concept, but actually it's... Lenin, um, Marx Engels concept, but he went with it. Mm-hmm. So 
in my mind, this idea of permanent revolution is about always, you know, subverting structures and trying to be open and and kind of continuing the struggle after the revolution. But actually, that's not what Trotsky was saying. It was more about how you kind of develop the kind of uh, working through with the means of production and and eventually how you cannot have a socialist revolution in one country that the only way for socialism to to be a real thing is if it's global so you have this is the idea of permanent revolution that you have to continue after you've established one socialist state you have to continue the work to have a global revolution which makes sense yeah sure but at the same time quite ambitious which is funny like how at the beginning of the 20th century, this was like a platform one could have, you know. Okay, Russia, fine, but what about the rest of the world? <laughs> and, and, and for me, this idea also um, of permanent revolution and how it's been developed through Trotsky's and this idea that, oh, if, if, if there are blind spots, we always need to kind of question ourselves and, and try to see how we can incorporate different elements and, and kind of basically not let this bureaucratic uh, regime um, establish itself and be really like hardened and impossible to navigate. I think that's something that I'm interested in. So I, it's like this part of communism that I can relate to, I think. Um, anyway, and the last point, I think it's interesting how Trotskyists are the communists who are like, in theory, even though they are quite... They have a million fra fragments and schism and internal conflicts, yes. as they all do. They also have this idea that we shouldn't be super separatists. We should always try to influence mainstream politics. And in Greece, some of the Trotskyist groups, when Syriza was kind of coming to power, you know, most of the leftist groups were like, this is disgusting. This is like a monstrous nationalist thing. We don't want to be remotely associated with but some of the churches was like now is our opportunity to influence, influence mainstream politics so they did this entries thing of becoming part of Syriza and kind of trying to to influence the politics and how did it go terrible
ocean desert to Algiers. It's happy, dry, and hot, but it's my home, Algiers. Algiers is where my home is, where I I forgot to say something about Trotsky. That's really important. You spoke for a while. No, but I didn't say something important. So in this list of the 26 like thinkers, philosophers we have, I think he's at the upper end of hotness in my personal taste. I think he's extremely attractive. Really, really hot. A hottie. I like many of the communists. Uh... Mm. Uh, they have a little bit of like madness in their... like. Eyes, and scat eyes. Scat eyes. They have like messy hair. Uh, speaking of uh, totalitarianism, communism, and hotties. Yes. Our next word is techno music. <laughs> I'm not really an expert, I have to admit. <clears throat> On techno. Yeah. I'm not an expert. You know a few things. I know a few things. I'm not an expert on it um, historically. And actually, I don't really... It's not really my music uh, as a movement to go there. Yeah. I, I don't want to go there so much. Um, oh, yeah. You mean the history of techno and stuff? Yes. Which uh, is an interesting, an interesting history in itself, like, obviously. Of course. And it relates to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I guess... I guess without turning it into some kind of... I don't want to turn it into some kind of like music history thing. No, 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 not at all. And um, let's focus on the part of techno that... You know, when I first came to Berlin, where you were living at the time, and at the time I didn't really have 
an opinion on techno, but obviously Berlin. You have to have an opinion on techno. Yeah, and also, you know, you know, with Berghain, it's all the clubs, the queer clubs play techno. It was something, you know, that I was expecting someone who lives in Berlin to kind of relate to somehow. And at the time, you were organizing parties that explicitly... Attacked techno. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, it was the first time for me that I was like, okay, why? What is the point? So you can tell yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I, it's not like I'm still in the same place as I was uh, 10 years Generally ago. speaking. Generally speaking. Um, but I... Um, I you don't live in Berlin also, so with that, true. That helps. I, I, I find something, I, I, the, the Berghain was always for me a little bit like a church. Uh, it has something very Protestant mm. in its way of, of, uh, mm. of pleasure. Mm. And, and, um, Fa- that's so weird to say this, like the place of hedonism and sex and drugs. You say it's Protestant. Yeah. It's controversial. Is it? Explain. Um, it seems to me like a place where um, there are extremely many social rules, mm. and the 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 guard of the rules is um, techno music. Ooh. Um, uh, there are very many people who would go against me on this politically, and I've I've argued with a lot of people on mm. this. Mm. But I find the repetition and loop um, nature of it to be about um, homogenization mm-hmm. and kind of um, forgetting the individual. Mm. One can say that's not necessarily a bad thing, like mm. we were talking about revolution before and... and uh, the masses, mm. yes. <laughs> um, but I find I find it very strange yeah. that the queer community has embraced techno so much, mm. considering that techno is an extremely formulaic music. Mm. It's 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 its main claim is sameness as opposed to difference. I mean, that could explain things. Yeah, of course, it explains why queer became a thing that actually has a uniform, I think. But, I mean, also the elephant in the room is drugs. Yes. So, like, when you are high, you don't want to listen to complex music because it kind of upsets you. Whereas a repetitive, especially something like minimal techno, who would sober go to a club to listen to minimal techno like that's silly as a notion it's not very common yeah it's like there was this meme at the beginning of the pandemic like how thousands of people realized that they didn't like techno they just like drugs <laughs> oh i didn't know this <laughs> it's like when you when they try to replicate the experience at home they were like what is this this <laughs> <laughs> awakening moment i mean Speaking of yeah, gays, but, but there is gays and repetitive music, at least techno is not house music, which I find ma- much more difficult. Even though it has an interesting history again, yeah. I find it really difficult to, to dance to. I find like this low the BPMs, I just I don't know how to do it without looking like a douche. 
Yeah, but but house is yeah is different actually, mm. and 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 it's about it links to disco also. It links very much to disco, and it and it has a stronger um, human element maybe. Mm. Um, whereas techno is very much about the machine. It's a machine music, um, but it's not about uh, it's not so much the kind of AI complex machine. It's like a supermarket kind of machine. It's like the factory machine. Yeah. It's like pop, 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 pop. You know, it's like, you know, about mass uh, repetition, basically. Mm. This futurist almost kind of space. I, I find this, I don't know. It's maybe, I mean, over the years, I've I've stopped telling people off for liking it. <laughs> You decided to let go. Yeah, I've stopped connecting it to Nazism, for example. <laughs> Something the Germans enjoy when you do. <laughs> they really don't. Um, I've stopped doing that. I have um, accepted that just my, my brain likes to dance to different music. Fair enough. To, to music which is uh, more dissonant. And, and, and you don't take drugs also? Yes. So you accepted that part of some people like taking drugs and you don't so much. True. Um, this. Uh, can I say something? Because it popped to my mind. So I, I said that like this, you know, there is this futurist idea of the, the machine and the noises and the images of the machine and how it takes us to this new world of hum- and this new era of humanity, right? When I was actually at the Pompidou last year and they had a little like futurist exhibition and they had this... Um, recordings of Marinetti's like um, poetry readings and they were so funny I was shocked he was like How reading that, I'm trying I'm you know I want <laughs> you to explain how it relates to techno. techno yes yes I was expecting that the sound thing would have this repetitive machinic like very serious very kind of like Why did you expect that, though? Because that's like the visuals like have this resonance. Mm. I think even the Mussolini house is, is kind of funny as uh, well. At the you same think time. it has some calmness? Yeah, I, th- I do. I mean, techno doesn't. <laughs> so techno just, doesn't. There's no like no way. No, I, 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 one of uh, this is I guess one of my main issues also. So even even the, the even the real fascists were more camp. Then techno.
the next word is something that um, kind of I I used to think that it was just from my generation. Yeah. But then it proved that it, it's actually more from your generation. Oh, really? I'm really surprised you say that. So the next word is television or TV. TV, television, yeah. Um, no, because when I'm in my early 20s, I mm. guess, I, I thought that TV is over. Well, you were kind of right. Yeah, I thought I really thought TV was over, that... that um, there is no re- reason for this medium to continue, and that because of the internet. Yeah, because of the internet, and also because it was a, for a very long time. It became very trivia, and it became very like it became sort of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it also reached at some point in in zeros. It reached its really kind of its bottom of of. Uh, of any notion of of, of um, production complexity, it was right. all about uh, reality shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zeros is all about reality shows, um, and reality shows are just grotesque documentaries of the, on the human nature. Yeah. I mean, they, they they were successful. They were doing something, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it it, it it wasn't something that could could, could, could stick around for a really long time. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I used to love TV, obviously, growing up. And I even have a TV in my room as a, as a teenager, as a kid, which was, um, I think, not everyone did at the time. Um, I didn't like TV. I didn't like the fact that it's that, that I, I can't curate it. it. Yeah, I loved it. So this, and I love this. The, the, I don't know. I like I like the fact that it's this passive thing and it's playing constantly and I really really used to like zapping obviously like how you how you call it in English like surfing like between channels and mm-hmm. stuff I loved it um, and and then when I go when I went to uni I didn't have a TV for the first time in my life and and I had my my computer and I would stream things and or not even stream like download like torrent things um, and that was like the, the, the golden era of curated content mm-hmm. online, right? Absolutely. And then I feel like now we are like with scrolling and with things like Instagram stories and TikTok. No, I think this is different. I, I don't connect that at all, actually. With, 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 with TV. TV. No, I'm just saying that we are back to a point of non-curation being quite... No, thing. I don't agree with that, actually. I think that uh, TV... Con- Con- traditional, not conservative, traditional TV spectacle came back with a vengeance with Netflix. Ah, yeah, with the stream. Okay, this is the, the other aspect of TV, I guess. That's... It's This is TV. Yeah, this is TV. This is the actual object of a TV in someone's room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought this would be phased. Oh, you mean like the hardware part? <laughs> no, I don't mean the hardware part. The hardware part would not happen if it wasn't for Netflix. Yeah, yeah. People wouldn't be buying big TVs today to watch Greek national channels. Yeah. yeah. They, they wouldn't do that. Like, young people wouldn't do that. Mm. The old people would have their TVs at home, but TV managed to s- save itself from its... literally from its ashes mm-hmm. by suddenly providing this, these sagas, these huge series with 
millions of episodes, yeah. extremely long content, all available. Yeah. Um, binge watching also, as yes, I binge watching is is basically, you know, I, I thought it was ba- it was finished. Like it used there was binge watching in before. Mm. Uh, well, it wasn't exactly binge watching because you you couldn't watch one thing. You had to just like keep yeah. watching whatever they show you. But there was this thing. Then there was the era of curated content, as you say. Yeah. Um, I think TikTok is a different thing uh, because I think it really is about scrolling. But you don't even need to do it. It happens automatically. Yeah, but the the, the I think the um, the idea there is algorithm and scrolling. Yeah. I think this is the the thing of TikTok and, yeah. and of it's not really it's not really TV mm-hmm. um, because I, I really do think that there is something to the fact that there is an object that shows you images and you sit and watch it. Yeah, it's not the same when it's on your on your phone and you you know you're kind of on and off. It's a different kind of usage. Yeah, so I was. Really surprised with Netflix and the, the comeback of TV. Mm. It really shocked me. Like I, di- I didn't think it would. I'm curious if they expected that it would become. Yeah, thing. I don't think they. Yeah, because you know. you know Netflix was a subscription service that they would mail physical DVDs to people. <laughs> Shit, that's what it was. Yeah, which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah, like it really was something else. Yeah, and also they didn't produce content. They just like uh, they kind of hosted co- content, so to 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 become the biggest content producer in the world. In the so for me, that was crazy. That that was that was when I realized that no, even the most vacant and uh, passive, so-called passive internet content, yeah, was not enough to replace the TV passive experience. When the real trauma of the pandemic came, people were like, they want Disney. <laughs> Please. Like, like, give me, inject Disney yeah. on my eyeballs <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, okay, of course there is something to the, uh, to the, to the passivity of the TikTok, uh, one changing after the other. But not really. I mean, I don't know how passive it is in terms of how much of the brain's like RAM memory it requires. Because I was on a holiday recently and a friend of mine was really high on drugs. And he went on TikTok to kind of watch and pass his time. while be- And he couldn't do it while being high. Whereas on TV you could easily kind of chill after you're really high, after you smoke a joint. With TikTok... It actually doesn't work. It's a bit like what you were saying about techno music, and uh, that you know you couldn't play extremely complicated music. Exactly on on drugs. So even though TikTok appears passive, it requires a lot of contextual understanding and engagement versus TV, which is like this this thing that plays in the background, mm-hmm. and you are on the couch, mm-hmm. and you might be eating something, mm-hmm. and la, la, like. It's a different relationship to media altogether and very different, obviously, to the big screen, right? Where you are, again, 
kind of focused on the the happening on the screen. Also, I think your generation is uh, the melancholy millennials are the laptop generation. Oh, that's true. I think the laptop generation is over. What is it? Mm-hmm. What I is think it? you you watched movies on a laptop. I did. Yeah. Yeah. All of your generation watched movies on a laptop. Mm-hmm. I when I was. You know, when the laptops came out, I did not think you can watch movies on a laptop because mm. I am older than you. And now people who are younger, they may watch something on the phone. <laughs> like, or, uh, you know, they might have like, they, they might go back to the big TV. But yeah. the laptop as an entertainment alternative mm. is actually something very millennial specific. Mm, interesting. It's true. Yeah. And, and in general, your emotional connection to laptop is a millennial thing. Um, this idea that your laptop holds everything. Um, <laughs> Both work. Your, yeah, work and porn and, and uh, entertainment. Off, yeah, you mentioned. Um, yeah, and, and, and I, yeah, I have to say, I'm, I mean, we didn't talk about traditional television in, in any way. No, but I think we covered uh, what I mean, television now. Yeah, traditional television, like back in the days when it was like there was no. A- what was television, for example? Because I I saw this 1970s right. German exhibition about 1970s uh, TV. Yeah, and in the general public, the public broadcast. Yeah, well. public broadcast, and it was all you know a lot of experimental things. Or 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 I collect this kind of rare TV stuff, like a show curated by Laurie Anderson or something like this. And, and a TV was, was seen also as a kind of platform for performance art and video yeah. art and, and stuff I mean, like when that. You, I mean, they've, they've screened like Blue by Derek Jarman and Channel 4 or something. Yeah, of course. No, I mean, this is, this is slightly different what you say. This is more like... This would still happen today. The oh, yeah, idea, yeah, because the, the idea, idea of, of every now and then doing something off in terms of film options. But on the like on this, I, I'm on talking the... about about seeing the medium of television as something that is fruitful for as yeah. as as as, a, as an art pr- platform. This like is what I Divine mean. Like Divine David, when you first showed me what Divine David Hoyle did on on Channel Four again. I was like, how was that on TV? That's not possible because it's a really complex use of the medium because he does use the language of TV. He's presenting a TV show, but it's super surreal, difficult references, extremely queer yeah. to a point that it would be provocative today. Yeah. And that was on like national television. Like, yeah. That was broadcast to people's homes. So this is to me like, you know, when when uh, uh, the private uh, stations uh, exploded and yeah. and instead of having like because I I also grew up as a kid with like three TV channels. Oh my god! <laughs> you know I'm not like ancient, but yes, yeah. I actually remember the day that the third public channel came out. <laughs> like there used to be two. The third one was a bit garbage. Oh, it had its moments. Um, yeah, and 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 two also finished early. I remember that the, there was a good night. Thing. Nothing after. And I remember the song very well when it says good night, and I remember watching it and being like, "We are nothing." 
Do you know what time it is? What time is it? It's time for... Poetry. <laughs> what have you chosen for us this week? I mean, in the spirit of um, everyone cancelling Russian artists, I've chosen another Russian <laughs> to talk about today. Um, the previous one was Ukrainian. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> in the general area? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm trying to create some connection to the topics we pick, but um, let's stick with the facts. So, um, yeah, another person who kind of struggled after the revolution, even though broadly she liked the concepts, her work didn't fit to this new kind of Soviet realist aesthetic. So did they send her to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't have a good... Um, Ending. didn't end well. <laughs> anyway, she's lovely. And she's uh, uh, this is Alvina's, our friend Alvina's favorite poem, one of the, her favorite poem, poems. Who so, are we talking about? Marina, Marina Tsvetaeva, then. Yes. And this is from An Attempt at Jealousy. Mm-hmm. How is your life without other one? Simpler, is it? A stroke of the oars and a long coastline... And the memory of me is soon a drifting island, not in the ocean, in the sky. Souls, you will be sisters, sisters, not lovers. How is your life with an ordinary woman without the God inside her, the queen supplanted? How do you breathe now? Flinch? Waking up? What do you do? Poor man. Hysterics and interruptions. Enough. I'll rent my own house. How is your life without other you, my own? Is the breakfast delicious? If you get sick, don't blame me. How is it living with a postcard? You who stood on Sinai. How is your life with a tourist on earth, her rib, do you love her? Is it to your liking? How is life? Do you cough? Do you hum to drown out the mice in your mind? How do you live with cheap goods? Cheap goods, is the market rising? How is kissing plaster dust? Are you bored with her new body? How is it going with an earthly woman with no sixth sense? Are you happy? No? In a shallow pit? How is your life, my beloved? Hard as mine with another man? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Quite an attempt at jealousy. An attempt at jealousy. Imagine if she was successful. (laughs) Oof. It's very beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, it's really nice. Um, but very funny. Yeah. It's it's really lovely. <laughs> Kissing plus the dust. It's very, very good. She's amazing.
Has a language all its own. Turn it over on the handle and it sucks its teeth at you. Rev up and it goes all over Twitter. And driving away invites a lot of. Ah, time flies. Time flies. You know, even though our show lasts. Two hours, two hours, which generally is considered unac- unacceptably long for a podcast. <laughs> and funnily enough, when we were young, when we started this five years back, we found it so easy. And now, yes, five years later, we struggle. Each episode is agony and a mountain to climb, a mountain to climb. But we've almost climbed the mountain today, reaching to the Big. And uh, of course, with you, our beloved audience, who is, who is always there, for always us. with us and for us in this long journey of discovery. <laughs> and what um, is the last word then for the day? How else could we finish that show? How? There, I'm sure there are many different ways we could have finished this show. Yes. But the word we picked to end on mm-hmm. is Twitter. <laughs> it's always for me downloading Twitter um, is always a sign that I'm entering a depression. You, you you download Twitter sometimes on my phone, and then you remove it, and then I remove it, and then you download it again. Yeah. Whoa! You've done that more than once. A million times. It's like um, why? I will tell you. So generally speaking, I'm quite online. I know what happens in the online world. Uh, But in times of real depression, I take self-worth from knowing things at the very beginning of their inception. Reddit. 
well reddit yes but reddit doesn't have this immediacy of twitter like of the endless kind of stream so then i will download twitter and when reddit is not refreshing enough yeah so it's like the depth of depression that's not the depth but when i enter depression is usually associated with downloading twitter (laughs) and with reddit i feel like with Reddit and other meet, like social media platforms, I, I feel like I get something from it. That Twitter is dirty. There is nothing there. Like only stupidity. And like for every good hot take, you have to read a thousand pointless things. And the good take actually is not that good. It's only good in relation to the rest of the trash. When was Twitter? Is Twitter still popular? Well, yes. It's yeah? still... still still quite popular and especially interestingly it became more popular in Greece in the past few years with um, well not interestingly everything is late in Greece yeah 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 but like um, it became a mainstream thing for people to go and comment on TV shows and stuff like that Mm -hmm. I mean obviously the pinnacle of the Twitter era was when Donald Trump was using it as as his main platform of communication Mm -hmm. until he was banned after the the riots um, and he's never returned which is um, a pity for the poetry yeah but obviously better for the world (laughs) better for the world I mean Twitter is I'm, I'm struggling to decide if Twitter is worse than YouTube comments Mm, it's very I, different. I am I, this this no no no. I know of course it's very different. I'm but I'm in my different type of bad. I mean that's what. Y- yeah, uh, yeah. It is different type of bad. I'm just trying to think because I, I, at the moment I am, you know, uh, I, I as you know I have mostly left social media and uh, you know I'm not, I'm kind of removing myself from the online thing. Yeah and. Uh, as a sort of like wrapping up of everything Mm. um, I want to find out what is the worst of the internet Mm -hmm. and uh, YouTube comments are quite near the bottom of of humanity yeah aren't they yeah yeah historically but I mean over the millennia this the very I don't know. I, I haven't met Jenkins Hand and stuff. No, I, I don't think it's as bad as that era. But I'm not saying it's the worst of humanity in history. I'm saying, I'm saying that it's the worst of humanity now. Mm. The people who write YouTube comments. But I'm also thinking about Twitter as a um, really vile, vile place where every oh, why? because people have opinions. <laughs> but like not really because they they have to write like this really short thing but it has to be like really clever and catchy the hot egg so, industry yeah so it's it's like it's like it's like okay there's it's one thing to try and have a picture of a cake in instagram yeah in order to grab attention but it's a different thing to try and summarize a piece of news in a cake way to get attention that's just awful 
and 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 it's okay for everybody to have cakes mm. but it's not really so okay for everybody to have opinions with what <laughs> people's opinions should not be public they no. should keep it for Or their they're house f- their friends yeah they can do whatever they want they can they? do whatever they want in their beds i don't i don't have a problem they can do whatever they want in their soirees at home so as long as they don't I don't have to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, one could argue that this has started on Twitter, but now it's, it's everywhere on the yeah. internet. It's a Twitterization of, of, of the internet. And you have to have a hot take. Yeah. About uh, everything. About everything. And it's like there is also even a, a kind of, um, almost like a responsibility, like like that... that You know, oh, there is this scandal, and where are you, and why are you but not it, taking a position? But it is different to be aware of things happening, and it's different to have a whole take, right? It's a very, very different thing. It's, it's, you know, one could argue that in a democratic society, you should know about things happening, like on the social sphere. One could argue that. 